want you to turn to uh, two places in the Bible this morning. First to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and then to Joshua chapter 3. In that order. And we will spend some time in those places. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1 and Joshua chapter 3. Was well, thinking this uh, past week about people that had had a profound impact in my life, and one of those men was in his sixties, mid sixties, when I met him as a teenager. He had been converted, had a very dramatic conversion from alcohol, and just a lot of sin in his life. Of course, all of us are sinners; we just sin in different ways. But uh, he had a very rough life. And so when he was saved, everybody knew it uh, because of his language, his attitude, just his choices. Everything was different about this man. And there were two characteristics that really summed up his life that ought to be true of us is that he loved Jesus and he loved people. I mean, he loved the Lord supremely and he also loved people. And my friend had just a great passion in his life to see People saved. He was one of my father's dearest friends. And um, I loved to pray with him. I loved to just hear him talk to the Heavenly Father and, and uh, just to pour his heart out to God. And so often he would uh, ask me to, to go out visiting with him. He was the, the bus director of our church uh, that I grew up in. And so uh, he, he was shorter than I was. Now, he was, uh, he was solidly built, but he was shorter than I was. And he was almost like Gilligan's Island. Uh, he called me little buddy. And uh, he, he would say, hey, little buddy. And it's kind of funny. You know, I was taller than him looking down. And he'd say, hello, little buddy. But he would say, hey, little buddy, why don't you go out on bus visitation with me? And I was so introverted. I know I've told you that before. And I, I didn't know how to uh, come outside of myself and uh, so I, I'll do that with you sometime. And uh, he was never pushy. He was just, just ask me, you know, and I could take you to the place where this happened. Uh, one night he, uh, we, we passed by each other and I was never offended by it. He was just so sweet and kind and loving. And he approached me and he said, hey, little buddy. He said, why don't you go out on bus visitation with me? And I, I cannot tell you to this day why I said yes. Because I, I felt totally inequipped. I said, okay, I'll, I'll go with you. And so we went out. He had a little small car that I could barely get into. And, and we got into that car and, and we took off. And he made a very profound impact on me when we went out uh, visiting people, not just that time, but other times. And it wasn't his method. Now, usually people have an approach that they use and so forth. By the way, uh, everybody has a story. The most powerful thing that you have is your story of how you came to Christ. And within that story is the gospel of how Jesus loved you and he saved you and he died for you and he was rose again. That's the most powerful thing. And your story is the gospel. And your story is different than mine. And so your approach will be different. But it wasn't the message. It was the man. And so I would go in with him and, and watch him as he spoke to people. And there was a conviction that he had about the gospel and the power of the gospel. But there was also a, a, a tenderness and a compassion and an urgency that he had. And, and boy, the tears would flow and um, we would be seated across from people and before long, he, he, he had scooted up on, on the edge of the couch or the chair and leaning forward and not in a preaching way, but just in a burdened way. And many times, in fact, most of the time, he, he had got off of that, that place where he was seated and would move over to that person and kneel down by them and plead with them uh, to come to Christ. And it was an amazing thing to watch, to him give the message, but also watch the man where he was the message in that sense. He represented the Christ that he was telling people about because he loved them. And when he said, God loves you, they could see the love of God in this man. Later on, I got a buster out for those of you that don't know what that means. That just means that you go out and on Saturday and you invite t- teenagers and children 
to come to church on, on Sunday. And, uh, and then they'll come and you go by on Sunday morning and pick them up and, and drop them off and so forth. And so uh, I ran that route. In fact, if you've ever been to eat over at the Big Spring Cafe, the new one on Governor's Drive, the old one is there too, but the new one by the post office, right behind the Big Spring Cafe, that neighborhood over there, that's where I ran my bus route. And uh, knocked on doors and got boys and girls and, and teenagers to come to church. Well, around in uh, uh, 1976, uh, he got very sick and uh, began to lose weight, and, and he passed away in July of 1977. And it was a huge loss to my father, to me, and um, I remember when we had his funeral, I, I sang in the choir. Brother Mike, you probably was singing in the choir that service too. Uh, Mike worked in the same ministry that I'm speaking of, and, and everything I'm telling you, he can validate with his own stories. I'm not exaggerating one whit. And uh, and and just it was just a loss. Listen, you you don't just say, "Well, I think we'll, we'll have somebody else like that." Uh, those people are very rare. And he had a profound, profound impact on me. But he didn't just impact me; he impacted the whole church. And when he died, it, it affected the entire church family. Uh, he never went to college. He didn't finish high school. But he had such a huge heart for God. As I was thinking about my friend and I was thinking about this message, I began to just think about other people. I, I do this sometimes that, that have touched my life and thank God for them. And, I th- and, and this is true. That the vast majority, and I'm talking about, I don't mean like uh, uh, 6 out of 10. I'm talking about 98 out of 100, you know that have impacted my life have been ordinary people. Uh, They've been simple people. I I love this statement. You've heard me say it before, that the difference in ordinary and extraordinary is extra. The difference in ordinary and extraordinary is extra. Now, that's not just a play on words, though it is, but it's, it's literally true. But you can take that one of two ways. You can take that in a church and... Give it to people and and say, well, that means that you have to be extra committed. You have to be extra faithful. You have to give extra attention to detail. And all those things are true in the business world. But in in the kingdom of God, in the work of God, in the spiritual economy that God has given to us, those aren't the extras. There's nothing wrong with those things. Sometimes you operate within your spiritual gift and you God gives you extra uh, abilities in those areas. But you can have abilities and God not bless them. The difference in ordinary and extraordinary is extra. Here's what it is. It's, it's the extra touch that God gives to you when, you when you walk with Him. There's nothing wrong with a high school diploma. There's nothing wrong with a the college diploma. I'm all for education. I, I wanted my kids to get as much as they could. I'm all for it. I think it's a good thing. But that's not where you get your spiritual strength. And if you're not careful, if you're not careful, because the world values those things, personality and emphasis. I remember John T. Malloy, I think that's his name. Some of you are tracking with me right now. Back in the, let's see, when, uh, 70s maybe the early 80s. I, I, you know, I really don't like doing this because people have phones. I'm, I think I'm going to look that up right now. Uh, but uh, he wrote a book called Dress for Success. And uh, he said, now, now, if you want to impact people, you have to dress for success. And you want to wear a power suit. You know what a power suit is? It's a dark suit with a red tie. Now, that's not why I, I wore this today. Kind of feel bad about it now. Paula set this out. Uh, I always, whatever she sets out, I wear. And so she she picks out nice things. But it is powerful, isn't it? Now, I'm just messing with you. But he taught that. And he said, it's a white shirt, by the way. It's not, not this. But it's a white shirt. And you and it, it gives you, man, you, you make your, and then, and then you go to these executive centers. Some of you have been to these things. And then, whatever you do, walk fast. You're going somewhere. 
Don't, don't walk slow. No, no. You be somebody. Dress for success. You're going somewhere. Be effective. And you, oh man, I, that's what I'll do. That'll help me make a meal. Write that down. And, and you get all of these things together. You got to wear. Now, now, the thing about your outfit for a man is your belt and your shoes. And make, make sure you get that all fixed and you get all this and, and you still struggle with your family and struggle inwardly. And things, things aren't coming together. Funny story, I haven't told it in a long time. We honored Miss Belcher. I'll, I'll embarrass her again because I love her. Uh, years ago, I sent her, uh, when she was my secretary, I sent her to one of these little seminars. You, you those of you that uh, have been in management or leadership, they send you these little management things and to help people, you know, uh, to, to be more efficient and effective. Those are two different things. But So I said, hey, Kathy, would you be interested in this? Some of it, I mean, won't be good, but if you get one good idea, it'll help. And she said, well, yeah. It was one of those eight-hour things you break for lunch and have a little break, you know, breakouts and stuff. And it was at the, the hotel over there by... Uh, Space Center or something, I don't know. So she went over there, and <laughs> she came back the next day, and she stormed in my office. She said, Pastor, I hated that thing. It wasn't any good. It was, it was all carnal wisdom. It wasn't any good. I said, well, Kathy, was there anything? Was there one thing you got out? She said, well, yeah. Yeah, I got more than one. I said, well, we'll focus on that one thing. Well, then I got tickled at her, and I said, well, well t- tell me some of the bad things you learned. What were some of the bad things you learned? Well, they taught us how to take advantage of our bosses. I said, they did? I said, what did they teach you to do? They said, well, they taught us the power stance. And I'm sitting behind my desk, and she's literally inside the door there. And I'm trying not to laugh. And she's, I said, well, what is the power stance? And she's, it's this. And she's standing in front of me like this. And by then, I'm just pounding my desk and laughing. I said, it's not working. It's not working. It's not working. And remember that, Kathy? That, that was fun. So sometimes sometimes the red tie and the white suit and the power, the power stance don't work. So the point being is the difference in ordinary and extraordinary or extra. But you need to make sure... Listen, every time you hear a truth, you filter it through the presuppositions you already have in your mind. And if your presuppositions are not spiritual, you're going to have uh, carnal applications. And they're not going to be spiritual applications. That's why, you listen, you need the Word of God. And you need to be in church. You, you need to hear the Word of God. You need to be in the Word of God so your presuppositions Filter out those things. Let me give you an example. In Acts chapter 4, I've been thinking about this a lot. Those of you that have heard me in classes, I've referred to this verse a lot. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 13 to the disciples, the Bible says that when they, these are the people and the leaders, the religious leaders, the political leaders, saw the boldness of Peter and John. Now, that doesn't mean their brashness. It means their freedom of speech. It means their power, basically, the power that they had, their spiritual power. And they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. And that doesn't mean they were hillbillies. You know, God doesn't bless our ignorance. He blesses in spite of our ignorance. It doesn't mean that they were stupid. It means that they did not have the credentials of men. Uh, In our vernacular, they hadn't been to seminary. They hadn't been to their schools. Uh, they weren't learned people. In their case, Peter and John were common fishermen. They were common men. Let's put it that way. They were simple men. And perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of him. And here's what I want you to see. That they, Peter and John, had been with Jesus. He said, these guys are different. They, they have something extra. They're extraordinary. But what what made them extraordinary was not the clothes they wore. It was not because they walked fast. It was not because 
of secular wisdom, it, it was because they've been with Jesus. Listen, if you, if you want a cutting edge, and I hate to say it that way because this is not why we worship and walk with God. But if you want to be effective, I'll use it that way. You need to be with Jesus. When Eric was singing that last chorus about uh, being in the house of God, that just means you're in fellowship with God. That's where they worship God. And, and God, now you are the house of God. He indwells you. You can worship God driving your car. In discouragement, when you're on top of things, it doesn't matter. You're worshiping Him. You spend time with Jesus. You know, sometimes uh, preachers talk about having spiritual power. I'm thinking about a man now who, who often talked about the power of God. He, he talked about it all the time. Uh, about the power of God to, to reach people for Christ. And he was a very brash man. He was a very rude man. He was a very negative man. And just, you know, very prickly. Nobody really wanted to be around him. You see, his interpretation of power simply had to do with results. The word power means influence. And Jesus said in Matthew 5 that when you're the light of the world and you're the salt of the earth, that that's what gives you the influence. Light means your testimony. Salt means your character. And that's what gives you your platform. But if the salt has lost its savor, it's good for nothing. You don't have influence. And this this man did not have influence. He didn't have love. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, you're just a... A clanging symbol when you talk. That hurts. I don't want to hear you talk. The tone of voice you use. You're just talking. You haven't been with Jesus. You have some credentials, but you haven't been with Jesus. I wonder how many people are listening to me. And you're sitting on the sidelines. In the work of God, because you feel like that I don't have much to offer God. And you feel like I did. You know, Rick, I'm just simple. You know, I can't sing. You know, I can't get up and talk like you can. Listen, I, I couldn't do this. When I went to college, speech was required. Oh, I hated it. I hated that requirement. I mean, I hated it with a passion. And I squeaked by with C's, and I know you're not surprised. It, 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 is, it is God's God's help. Sometimes God, and I may say more about this later, God will allow you to be used in, in your area of weakness to depend upon Him. God is not looking for your ability. He's looking for your availability. Are you available? Quit... quit saying, God, I can't do this. I can't do this. Rather than, but, but you can do this through me. It was said that Abraham Lincoln stated that God must love common people because he made so many of them. I, I like that. God must love common people because he made so many of them. I call them salt of the earth people. By the way, that's how you build a church. You build a church of salt of the earth people, common people. Now, they may have good positions at work, but, but they're, they're regular people. They're simple people. Good, hardworking salt of the earth people. One of the themes of the Bible that's used in the Old Testament, the New Testament, when you, when you look forward, it's, it's there over and over again, is that God uses common people. And, and he delights to do it. Are you here today and you shrink back and you say, well, that, let somebody else do that. God wants to use you. Now, if you're the one that says, well, hey, I'd like to be on the platform. Uh, I, I'm a little scared of those people. Because I think you may want the spotlight. I, I'm attracted to the person. I, I don't think I can do it because there, if there's a little bit of doubt there, that means, okay, you're, you're going to be a little bit humble about it. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I had you turn there. They're on the screen, but you may want to underline some things. I love this passage because it's me, and I've I got a feeling it's you too. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many, now he doesn't say not any, he says not many. Because there are some, but not many. You know, when we ran those bus routes in Huntsville, we could have ran them in the wealthy neighborhoods and we wouldn't have got very many, not many people. But you go in the poor neighborhoods, man, they, they come out. How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many mighty, that means capable, strong, powerful. Not many people like that are called. Not many noble. What does that mean? Uh, the Bible talks about noblemen. It means people that are privileged, people that have opportunities, wealth. They have platforms. They've been born into it. Maybe their dad was a senator or governor or, or their dad was a, uh, in a high-powered attorney somewhere. But they have, their dad has a name. And, and they're born into nobility in that sense. God, God sometimes plucks the people out who nobody knows them. Chosen, not many noble are called. And again, not any, but not many. But God hath chosen, look at this, the foolish things. The foolish things. You know, the word there for foolish in the Greek, we get the word moron from. And that doesn't mean, here's what it means. It doesn't mean stupid intellectually. It means when you look at somebody like that, you say, I can't believe that. How could God use them? Here's a good word, absurd. That's absurd. Are you serious? Now, I, I know, I'm not going to disrespect Matt. knows I love him much. But I think that probably somebody that Matt went to school with, they say, hey, buddy, what are you doing now? Well, I, I'm at my church, and I, I teach every week and work with, with our children, and I, I'm doing this. Matt Moody, are you serious? You've got to be kidding. You mean you're up in front of people? And maybe they wouldn't use absurd. It's not a character issue. It's like, man, I can't believe that. They, they say that about me. This past week, I, I was with some uh, about five people that I went to to junior high school with, and uh, Paula walked in. She dropped me off, and then she came in and she sat down. And one of them spoke up and said, "Boy, if you knew Rick back, his face would turn red. He would just get embarrassed." And and you know they're having fun with me. It's absurd. God uses. The foolish things confound the things which are wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. God doesn't need strong, capable people. This really blessed me. I showed this to Paula last night. God takes weak people. The word weak there means feeble, without strength. And uh, the word is often translated sick. In the New Testament. In fact, the first usage of the word in the Gospels is the word sick. Oh, this, it blessed me. I'm telling you, it, it helped me of all my study, I think, this week. God blesses wheelchair people. God blesses people that walk slow. Go out my family, we'll go to an amusement park sometime, and they're, they're walking fast, and I'm back there. You know, I'm trying to keep up with them, and and uh, I don't get mad at them. They they just don't know. You know, weak people. Oh, listen, what's your weakness? Sometimes God will use you in that weakness. And base things of the world. What does base mean? It means it's the opposite of nobility. It means an unknown origin. You don't have any connections. It means to be in the lower class. I mean, really, not only do you not have a power suit, the truth is you don't know how to dress. You, you probably need somebody to help you a little bit and say, you know, that really doesn't match and you need to learn stripes don't go with this. And, and uh, it's okay if you don't, but, uh, you know, if, if you want to, some people to listen to you, let's do this. But God doesn't bless you because of that. But first, first impressions do matter. But listen... God blesses base people, people that are in the lower class.
And I love this. Things which are despised, without esteem to be at the bottom, that people hold in contempt. Remember when you were in uh, elementary school and uh, they were choosing sides maybe for softball or baseball or something. And they, they threw the bat up and everybody put their hands on the bat and, and then they picked the teams. I'll take Charles. I'll take Thad. I'll take Robert. Uh, I'll take Justin. And you're sitting over there. Is anybody going to pick me? I'm always picked last. I'm always, I'm always last. I'm slow and overweight and I'm not, I can't hit real good. I hope they don't pick me last. And pretty soon you just don't even get up to go out there because you're so embarrassed. Things that are despised. God has a place for you. You know, don't get bitter about that. To bring to naught. And, and yea, watch this. And God has chosen things which are not. I I used to read that, and I said, what does that mean, not? You know what it means? You know what the Greek word means? It means nothing. And here's what it means. It means zero. You're zero. I I don't remember him in school. Do you remember him? I can't remember him. They weren't on the swim team. They weren't on the football team. They weren't a cheerleader. I don't remember them. I don't remember them. And maybe you feel that way even in our church. You know, I bring Kathy up. We left. Hey, remember when we did this? Is that, I wish, I wish, I wish I knew Rick like that, and we'd have jokes. You know, I'm attracted to these people. You ask my wife; she's sick at home. She had the shingles um, vaccine this week, and it's really some of you have had that. In fact, if you have, I'd like to talk to you about it after church. See. Had affected you. She's really struggled with it. I don't want you to feel that way. I felt that way before. Rejection. God's attracted to those people. Why that? Here's a purpose clause. In order that no flesh should glory in His presence. God takes all these rejects and all these background people and simple people, and He says, "Hey, I want to use you." So when I use you, people say, "I, I never believed it." Matt Moody, are you serious? You mean Jimmy Oliver? Are you serious? I played football with him. Jimmy was really quiet. Wow, that's really something. That's what God does. God doesn't use us because of what we are, but in spite of what we are. The world admires strength and power and personality, ability and social status. But these are not attractive to God. God is attracted to humility. By the way, people are too. People are too. You're in 1 Corinthians. Look at 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this is powerful. 2 Corinthians 4, look in verse 5. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For we preach not ourselves... 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5, Paul says, But Christ Jesus the Lord, and here's our role, ourselves your servants, for Jesus' sake. The word servant there means slave. I'm Jesus' slave. You say, well, well, preacher, what does that mean? Well, here's, here's the acid test for servanthood, okay? It doesn't mean that you serve people. Here's how you know you're a servant. You know you're a servant when you're treated like one and you don't get upset. And God will let that be tested. Well, I did all that work and they, they didn't mention my name. Well, you know, they 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 met without me. I, I didn't get any credit. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord in ourselves, your servants for Jesus' sake. You know, in Luke 14, I think it is, Jesus said, don't, don't scramble for the seats at the front. Just sit at the Lord table. You'll be ashamed. It's better that, that, that the, the man hosting the party, hey, come up here and sit by me. Then, then you sit there, hey, you, you go down to the lower section. 
for God who commanded the light. This is when he created the world to shine out of the darkness. And here he compares it to salvation has shined in our hearts. It's a, it's a miracle. The creation of miracle, the creation of regeneration. He shined in our hearts. And here's what he did. He did this to give the light so that we would enlighten others of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That when I spend time with God, the Bible talks in Proverbs and Psalms and some places in the New Testament, about, especially in the Old Testament, about the light of your countenance. And, you know, the Bible talks about a, a proud countenance and, and the, a proud look. You haven't even said anything. A haughty look. I, I'm thinking about a couple of presidents right now. That I mean, you just, you just look at them and say, they're, they're so arrogant. Haughty look. It's, it's, it's all over you before you even say anything. Commanded the light to shine out of the darkness, has shined in our hearts so that we could give light. And I'm not trying to be humble. Don't don't you see humility is not thinking lowly of yourself, is not thinking of yourself at all. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. But we have this treasure. What is this treasure? It's the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel message, what he has done for us. It's him. He is our treasure. In earthen vessels, that's just a, a a clay pot. Which if you if you bump it a little bit, it's gonna it's gonna break. Fragile, weak. We're weak. He's strong, and and God takes something very special and something powerful, this treasure, and puts it in us. You're the earth, you're the weak and fragile one. That here's a purpose clause in order that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. It's not about you. That's why God will allow me sometimes to be forgotten. Boy, I learned a long time ago, and I'm not saying I'm good at it. Just, it's good to be obscure. Good to be in the background. It's a safe place to be. Don't, don't fight to be out front. Don't, don't, be, don't be offended. Uh, judgment day's coming. God, God reward things done in secret. The moment I make it about me, I lose God's power on my life. And God has deposited this treasure, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the gospel through the Holy Spirit of God in this weak vessel, and a really weak vessel in my case. And I am enabled by the excellency of the power of God. This is interesting. The word excellency, uh, we get the word hyperbole from it. And it has the idea of an abundance beyond measure. The word power there means an ability beyond human ability. A strength beyond human ability. It is beyond measure. It's supernatural. It's God. And God says that's what the treasure is. It's not about you. It's not about me. You're in Second Corinthians. Well, let, let, let me give you some observations here about this, about this treasure in us. It is the treasure within the pot that gives it value. I'm not, the pot's not worth anything. It's the treasure. That's what gives it value. It's Christ. Focus on the treasure, not the vessel. Focus on Jesus. Don't, don't focus on the vessel. God can do a work in spite of your limitations. Different kind of vessels. Some are prettier, some are stronger. God can do a work in you in spite of your limitations. And then here's one. Suffering is a way of jarring the vessel so that the treasure can better spill out on others. Because when you're broken, the treasure shines out better. Hudson Taylor, the missionary, said all of God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on Him being with them. So I think it's Jeremiah 45 and verse 5. He said, uh, don't seek great things. 
I wish I had time to give the context. I don't. Don't don't seek great things. Let, let God bring things to you. And then in Second Corinthians chapter three and verse five, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. The word sufficient there means competent, means to be secure, to have plenty. I struggle with security all of my life. I'm very insecure. Not that we are secure of ourselves, competent to think anything as of ourselves. But our sufficiency, our ability, our competence is is of God. You have to trust that's why God will put you in that area of weakness. So you have to trust Him and press into Christ. Jesus said in John fifteen five, I am the vine, you're the branches. Branch is not worth much. They cut them away when they're not fruitful. But the vine is important because the branch gets its its source, gets its nutrition from the vine. And we, we are the branch, Christ is the vine. He that abideth in me remains in me, and I in him. Notice that Christ is in you. He's already there, but are you abiding in him? The same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Yesterday I looked at the word nothing. It means not even one thing. Not one thing. Listen, your job is to produce fruit. You cannot produce spiritual fruit without abiding. Not one thing. Now, you, you can make money. You can get your name made known to other people. You cannot do one spiritual thing without abiding. Nothing. Not one thing. Nothing. You can be famous. You can do a lot of things. But you will not bear fruit for God's glory. Not one. Not one iota. Not Nothing. Listen, that's one of the most significant verses in the New Testament. It's a good day when I learn that and when you learn that. Because I've been saved a long time and I'm, I'm still learning it, unfortunately. I know it. Let me give you some examples of this principle, how God uses common people. Look at Moses, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 11. God had called Moses, and I'm going to highlight some words here. Moses said unto God, who am I? Now, I'm going to just tell you, Moses had eye trouble. God, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? I remember reading that in chapter 4. This is when God really began to broke my heart and my will about going into the ministry in, in Exodus 3 and 4. And I said, God, I can't do this. I am not skilled at this. I am weak. I, I, me, me. So, so what is it that you're, you're saying, God, I can't do? You have eye trouble. With all of this, this, it's a subtle form of pride. I, me, my limitations. Well, notice God takes it upon himself. God says, Moses, certainly I, here's God talking, I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I, God says, I, now, now you look at me. It's not about you, it's about me, that I have sent thee. It's not what Moses could do, but what God could do through Moses. So here's what God says, Moses, you don't worry about it. I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Then I think about Gideon. Boy, they were having... Um, a tough time with the Midianites and they were marauding and stealing their crops. Gideon's hiding there trying to get some food for his family. And God called him. He said, I want you to, to lead an effort against the Midianites. In Judges chapter 6 and verse 15, And Gideon said unto him, the angel, I believe it was the Lord Jesus Christ, Oh my Lord, watch this, he said again, Where, Wherewith shall I... Save Israel. My family is poor in Manasseh. Gideon said, I am the least in my father's house. You see, he's got, he's got eye trouble too. I can't do this. 
Well, what does God tell him? And the Lord said unto Gideon, I will be with thee. He told, he told Gideon the same thing he told Moses. Now, don't think about what you can do. Think about what I can do. I'll be with you. Now, what's interesting here is he didn't, he didn't give him the plan. He just gave him himself. That's better. If you, if you wait on a plan, you'll always get in trouble. God, just, God doesn't give you, he gives you a promise. Even in the Great Commission, he says, Lo, I will be with you always. He doesn't say, okay, here's how it's going to be and, and, and it's going to work out. No, he, he just gives you himself. Just trust me. Jeremiah chapter 1, God had called him in verse 6. And notice his response to God. Then Jeremiah said, ah, it's almost so emotional. Oh, Lord God, behold, I, I can't speak. I don't have good speaking skills. I am a child. I'm young. I can't talk. I'm young. But the Lord said unto me, Nehemiah said, don't say, I am a child. Don't use that excuse. For thou shalt go to all that I, this is God talking, shall send thee. And whatsoever I, God says, command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces. Now what did God tell Jeremiah? I am with thee. I'm with you. He told him the same thing he told Moses, the same thing he told Gideon. And then he said, in verse 9, he said, I will put my words in your mouth. I got it all taken care of. I'm with you. What, what are you hesitating about? That God wants you to, to take the next step, but, but you're, 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 just, you're just hesitating on. Then how about Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus? The angel came and met her. I remember when we were in Nazareth and we went to a little house in 1998. And they said, this is the traditional place where the, the angel met Mary. And they said, now this is, a, this is pretty well documented because this, this, is, this is an old well. And she was getting water at a well. And this well was the only well here. And I remember thinking, well, she, well, get it? I didn't say, I didn't mean to say that. Uh, so I thought, so this probably happened here. And the angel said, you're going to have a little baby and the baby is going to be special. And in Luke chapter one and verse 34, then said Mary unto the angel, How? Sometimes that keeps us, well, how, how are you going to pay for this? How are you going to accomplish this? How are you going to give me the strength? How? Seeing I know not a man. Well, I, I can't have a baby. I've never had a relationship with a man. Not been intimate with anybody. I, you see, see the how and the I? This is sacred. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And then later on in verse 38, Mary said, Lord, as you've said, be it unto me. And I believe at that moment, at that moment, by her faith to what God had called her to do, supernaturally, she conceived of the Christ child. God did for her what she could not do for herself in a supernatural way. What, what is God calling you to do, but you're hesitant to do because you think that you cannot do it? Now, we've been talking about consecration. We've been talking about sanctification, that God will only do what He can do when you consecrate your life fully to His purpose. I want you to look at this verse in Joshua chapter 3 and verse 5. Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. 
Now, tomorrow, I'm going to do some special things for you. Tomorrow, tomorrow's really going to be good. The word wonder means impossible, possible, and it's plural. I'm going to do many things for you. Some exciting things, things you can't do for yourself. But that's tomorrow. Today, I want you to sanctify yourself. I'm, I've already said you, if you're a Christian, you've already been sanctified positionally, but I want you to sanctify yourself. I want you to practice daily progressive sanctification out of that positional sanctification that God has given to you. And one way you do that is what God has called you to do. As you say, God, I'm not going to make excuses anymore. I'm going to open my heart up to you and I'm going to say, God, whatever you have called me to do, I want you to do wonders in my life. I want you to use my life. And I want you to bless me. Um, this past Friday, I, I went to um, one of my pastor's funerals. And he went back to his uh, childhood church that he grew up in, where he was saved. And he pastored that church later. And he was 79. And he... In the past year, they asked him to be the pastor again from the time that he was younger. And just about two months ago, uh, they discovered that he had cancer. It was the same kind of cancer my sister had. Exactly the same kind. And they said, you've got two months to live. Or we can extend it by doing some things. And he said, I'd rather have a quality of life. And you know, one day, one day your time is going to come. And it may not be when you're 79, maybe when you're 39, maybe when you're 19. Do you just want to waste your life? Do you just want to live an ordinary life? Or do you want to live an extraordinary life? Now, I'm not talking about what kind of car you drive, what kind of house you have, or what kind of clothes you wear. And I'm not against any of those things. But I am talking about your impact on people and what you do helping people. My daddy drove a bus for a living and sold batteries and fixed tires. Graduated from high school when he was 20 years old. Got a football scholarship. Stayed for six weeks and said, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't like academics. I love football, but I'm really not an academician. Came home, got a job, worked hard all his life. He'd come home, his hands had not just grease, but that thick kind where he had to use gojo. We had some at our house and at work, and I'd sometimes go to work with him. He taught me how to clean that stuff out of my fingernails. That slippery, pale, greasy stuff. Try to get all that, and sometimes it didn't all get out. And even when I was young, I had so much respect for my dad with all those little wrinkles in his hands. And he had big paws. Remember Daddy died, I, I wrote a, a poem I really never finished about my dad's hands, just about his hands. My mom graduated from high school, went to UAH for a year, I think, and then couldn't finish. But she wanted to, but she couldn't. She's raising three kids, and she's going at night working a full-time job. Paid for my braces, mom and dad. They bought my cleats. They laid their life down for my brother and my sister and me.
And they taught me what it means to live an extraordinary life of living for other people and living for Christ. My daddy died. It'll be 15 years this coming July. And the man that did the funeral who at that time had been in the funeral home business about 40 years in Huntsville. He got me and my brother together. He said, I've been here all these years. And he told me the funeral homes he'd been in and I knew because I'd worked with them. So I've been here all these years. He said, I've never seen a funeral bigger than your father's funeral. None. My dad drove buses. We never had a new car, ever. I remember one time, uh, they sent a friend over to pick us up. Pick me up, take me to football practice. Mom and dad were working. And I was 12, I think. And I shouldn't have done this. I didn't mean to do it. But I put my, my foot up on the on the car dash to tie my cleat. I shouldn't have done it. I was just, I didn't know better. I, I was wrong to do it. And I respected this this guy a lot. He was probably seven years older than me. And real sharp. He said, get your, get your foot off the dash. I said, okay. I put it down. He said, we, my family doesn't have, and he called this. I had to figure it out. He said, we don't have shed cars like y'all. S-H-E-D. I guess, you know, I knew it wasn't a good term. I think it was the first time in my life I got to think, man, we don't. We don't have money. We're just regular people, really not even regular, lower middle class at that. But he lived an extraordinary life. My mom was the same way. Extraordinary. Sanctify yourselves today. Today, right now. So the Lord can do wonders in your life tomorrow. Should you bow your head with me if you would?